Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about foreign policy and world affairs. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. And in this show, we discuss topical global issues, have conversations with foreign affairs thought leaders and newsmakers, and give you the context you need to understand the world today. Go to globaldispatchespodcast.com to learn more. And now on with the show. You wouldn't really know it from the headlines, but more irregular migrants and refugees are arriving to Europe via Morocco than are arriving to Italy via Libya or Greece via Turkey. In fact, as the number of migrants arriving to Europe declined overall in 2018, the migrant route from Morocco to Spain experienced a sharp increase. On the line with me to explain why the Morocco to Spain route has become so popular and what this change in migration routes says about Europe's shifting attitudes towards migrants and refugees is Joe Wallen. Joe Wallen is a freelance foreign correspondent for the Telegraph newspaper The Guardian and Al Jazeera. He's reported extensively from sub-Saharan migrant communities in Morocco who seek to make the journey across the Strait of Gibraltar. He, in the process, has reported on human rights abuses that are being visited upon this community by both unscrupulous traffickers and Moroccan security forces backed by the European Union. We kick off with a discussion of the evolving migrant routes from Africa and the Middle East to Europe before having a longer conversation about the current situation in Morocco. So I should say Joe is a listener to the show, and when he reached out to me to do an episode about this issue, I admit I did not realize that the Morocco to Spain route was far more popular than any other migrant route to Europe. And the fact that I didn't realize this, I think, uh, says a lot about how the media in general has been covering this issue. So I'm, I'm trying to do my part to uh, to correct that narrative and, and, and help broaden that narrative, let's say. And also the fact that I'm doing an episode based on Joe's pitch is a good reminder to you to send me your thoughts on topics I should cover or people I should interview. I know a lot of the audience of this show, you who are listening, are up to interesting things in your daily life and work. Maybe you're a reporter, maybe you work at a think tank, maybe you've written an interesting paper or you're an academic and you want to get it highlighted and you think it would be interesting for the rest of the audience. That That's who I want to hear from. So send me your thoughts, send me your ideas. Love to hear from you. You can use the contact button on globaldispatchespodcast.com. All right, now here is my conversation with reporter Joe Wallen. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. So we've seen a real change in 2018 when we look at kind of traditionally what's been called the Mediterranean migrant crisis. 
Um, we've seen over 60,000 uh, migrants cross from, from Morocco to Spain this year. Um, as of yesterday, that, that exact figure was up at 61,566. Um, and that number is actually more than, than the number of individuals who crossed over from Libya to Italy um, and from Turkey to Greece and then through Eastern Europe, which the two routes that have been, I guess you could say, more traditionally associated and reported on. But it's like uh, more than those two routes combined, I think, if you look at the numbers, right? Yes, more, more than them both combined. So Italy's on, uh, I think it's about 23,000 so far this year, and Greece on 31,000. So, so the Morocco to Spain route has become very much the fulcrum of, of the sort of African to European migrant crisis. Um, and now looking at, I guess, looking at the reasons behind that, um, there, there are a number of sort of different different factors. We can look at both sort of push and pull factors, reasons why migrants are, are increasingly choosing Morocco as that springboard to get to Europe, and reasons why migrants are increasingly ignoring or avoiding other routes, which were traditionally a little bit more popular. Um, uh, so, uh, so the first reason why I, I guess more migrants are heading to Morocco is very much the, the militarization of Eastern and Central Europe, looking at the borders there. Um, so since 2015, 800 miles of fence have been constructed on borders in that region, such as the kind of much publicized uh, Hungary-Serbia border fence, um, in an attempt to stop migrants uh, using using that method to, to reach Europe. Um, I mean, when you look back to 2015, we had 1.6 million migrants in, in that year alone crossing from Turkey to Greece and through the Balkans. And that has dropped down to just over 30,000 this year, um, which is a pretty phenomenal decrease and shows the effectiveness of this, this militarization uh, program. Um, and, and also as well, you know, a big factor in that is that, that a lot of the countries in uh, within Eastern Europe, without generalizing, uh, have been fairly hostile towards migrants passing through their territory. I, I think uh, you can generalize. I mean, Hungary has been awful. Uh, you know, other yeah. countries have been awful to migrants seeking to pass through their country as they make their way north. Absolutely. I mean, I, I spent some time actually earlier in, in Hungary this year um, doing some work for the, for the independence. Um, which is kind of ongoing at the moment. And, and really, I was, I was shocked by the levels of, of sort of day-to-day -day racism and xenophobia. Um, as I say, Gallup produced this migrant advisory index this year, which measured every single country in the world and, and polled a significant part of each population relatively, um, looking at factors of, of how happy an individual would be uh, in Hungary, for example, or in Serbia about living next door to a migrant, or being using the same public facility as a migrant. And in fact, nine of the 10 least accepting countries in the entire world for migrants were in Eastern Europe. Um, so, so basically so as, well, so, so as that Eastern Europe route um, became more difficult, it, it seems that more um, migrants, mostly from Africa, um, tried to go to Europe, to Italy specifically via Libya. Sure. So, so yeah, that sort of leads on to on to the third point. So, the, the EU with, with kind of large numbers of, of, of migrants using that Eastern, Eastern European fronts. Um, th there was an EU Turkey migration deal uh, which was agreed in March 2016, uh, which kind of basically, when you break it down, uh, agreed that the EU would provide 3.3 billion dollars worth of funding for Turkey, um, and in return, Turkey would essentially stop migrants from crossing from Turkey to Greece and then through Eastern Europe. Um, and there was another part of part of that same deal 
uh, where every time uh, Turkey accepted a migrant back from Greece, the EU would in return resettle a migrant, a, typically a Syrian migrant, mm-hmm. who'd seek refuge in Turkey. So, so as, as you're correct in saying there, Mark, after after this deal went through, um, a lot of migrants then looked uh, to other avenues, um, and the the Libya Italy route sort of surged in in popularity. Again, looking at 2015, 2016, I think we got sort of 150,000 migrants using this. This very dangerous route as well, it has to be said. I mean, the, the distance between Libya and Italy is greatest when you look at Turkey to Greece or, or Morocco to Spain. Um, and now then again, the EU stepped in, in in a similar manner to we saw in with Turkey, um, agreeing a deal in August 2017. This was headed by Italy uh, and it saw sort of the freeing up of about 4.2 billion euros of investment in Libya in return that the Libyan Coast Guard, mm-hmm. you know, heavily funded and supported by the Italian government, the, the, the new populist Italian government, would all but stop any... I guess you could say illegal migration or, or restricted migration coming from Libya to Europe. Um, and, and I should say, I, I had I did a whole episode uh, on this specific issue with journalist Sally Hayden, who's done a lot of reporting on the conditions in which these migrants are held in Libya after they've been captured by the the Libyan Coast Guard. It's sort of like an underappreciated uh, human rights catastrophe that's unfolding right now in in Libya um, when these migrants are detained by the Libyan Coast Guard and then you know, basically put in jails and left to, to die there. Um, mm, and, and, yeah, and it I'm, seems I'm, as this crackdown intensified, you, you saw this surge in um, people wanting to make it to Europe via Morocco. Yes, absolutely. Um, I was, was going to say, you know, the work that, that Sally's been doing in Libya has been fantastic in drawing attention to those obviously atrocious human rights abuses that we're, that we're seeing uh, carrying on in the country. Um, and just another very small more, small fact there, and the reason why kind of migrants are increasingly yes, using the Libya to Italy route, um, what was the, the kind of emergence of the populist government in Italy uh, and the refusal by its interior minister, interior minister Matteo Salvini, to even let uh, NGO boats, or now commercial boats, with migrants on board, these are migrants that they rescued from the Mediterranean, use its ports to, to dock. Um, this was also followed by Malta itself. So migrants, as you correctly say there, were, were given increasingly fewer and fewer options of, of how to reach Europe. Um, and now Morocco became an increasingly attractive option. Um, this is partly because of the Moroccan government's sort of political pivot towards sub-Saharan Africa. Um, Morocco, yeah, Morocco long- joined the African Union pretty recently, right? After, after yes, staying only, out of it. Yes, only as recently as uh, 2017. So Morocco has long quarrelled with its uh, sort of North African neighbours, in particular Algeria, over the uh, the sovereignty of Western Sahara. Like Western Sahara is uh, an autonomous territory uh, which Morocco has occupied and has been criticised for this kind of ownership. That's a whole, other, that's a whole other podcast episode. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we, won't get, we won't get to the depths of that. Yeah. But as a result, Morocco has, has looked yeah. considerably over the last 10, 20 years for, for allies in sub-Saharan Africa as opposed necessarily to, to North Africa. And as a result of, of this factor, um, provided uh, visas on arrival for uh, individuals from 70 different countries. Now, these include a lot of Francophone sub-Saharan nations, such as Mali, Senegal, mm. uh, the Ivory Coast, Guinea. Guinea, actually, in fact, is... The country, or in 2018, more migrants from Guinea have reached Europe than mm. any other nation, which is quite a surprising factor. People would possibly consider Syria, Iraq, or even Libya itself um, as being possibly the, the major host nations. 
Uh, and, and a big reason for that is because these individuals are able to to fly almost from cities like Dakar or, or Abidjan to Casablanca or Marrakesh and arrive and visa a- free. They're not they're not um, breaking any laws when they arrive in uh, Morocco. They're you know they're they're there you know ostensibly for for whatever reason they want because they can arrive visa free. Absolutely. Um, and I mean, the Moroccan government as well, in, this is both in 2014 and in 2017, uh, has introduced sort of like a, almost like a nationalization visa for mm-hmm. sub-Saharan Africans in Morocco. So we think there's been over 50,000 beneficiaries of this. So under a lot of press, pressure from the EU and the UN, um, individuals from Guinea, from Ivory Coast, uh, from, from Senegal, for example, mm-hmm. who've been living in Morocco for a certain amount of period, were granted then a, a working or, or in terms of like a working visa. Mm. So for a lot of migrants, Morocco through 2017, 2018 has become an increasingly attractive uh, kind of host destination for those looking to reach Europe. So, so you As mentioned this earlier, but but um, or you you just mentioned this, but but you said most mm. um, or, or many migrants are are um, you know, sub-Saharan Africans trying to make it to Europe via Spain. In general, can you talk a little bit about what we know about the the migrant population, where they come from, who they are, um, and why they're they're um, trying to make it to Spain via Morocco? Absolutely. So um, through through my work over over the past year, I've spent several months uh, in Morocco in a lot of the northern port cities like Tangier, Nador and, and Oujda, which have very large sub-Saharan African populations, individuals that have reached the most north point of Morocco and are now saving up or putting together their last amount of money before then trying to reach reach Europe. And when we look at kind of who, who, that, who that means or who that refers to, typically Morocco has received uh, more sub-Saharan migrants um, than the Eastern Eastern European, the Greek-Turkey route, which tended to see a lot more Syrians, Iraqis and Afghans, just because of its uh, geographic proximity to those regions. Um, where there's Morocco, there's been a large portion of uh, Guineans, um, Malians, individuals from Cote d'Ivoire. Um, and there seems to be, there are a couple of recurrent themes uh, in why migrants are looking to are looking to cross over um now we look at you know mali for example um we've seen 289 civilians have been killed in intercommunal violence so far this year alone and mali itself is a country recovering from from a bit of civil war um you know over, over the last couple of years so a lot of individuals from mali in morocco explain that they, they've traveled to morocco with a view to into europe because they're concerned for their lives and they're concerned for their safety in particular the central mopti region of mali has seen a lot of kind of i guess like breakups of violence so far this year so individuals are fleeing for for their health um, a lot of a lot of others exp- explain that unemployment is high access to food security is limited um I mean, looking at Guinea, Guinea surprises a lot of indiv- a lot of people when you talk about the fact that it is, or it possesses the, the highest number of people who travel from Africa's Europe this year. But then, when you kind of look at the facts involved, you know, fifty five percent of Guinea's population lives below the poverty line. It has very high levels of unemployment. Seventeen point five percent of the population suffers from food insecurity. Um, there's been sort of rapid ethnicization of Guinea politically um, and within its economy uh, over recent years, particularly since President Alpha Conde's come into power. Um, so you're seeing a lot of individuals from sub-Saharan Africa, West Africa, who who feel they've, uh, I, I guess the, who who feel they've sort of been um, segregated from 
job opportunities due to, due to kind of ethnic backgrounds. So, um, yeah. so, so it sounds like, I mean, in general, it sounds like it's it's sort of a combination of people who are economic migrants and also people with legitimate claims of, of asylum uh, as well. Um, Absolutely. So, I mean, Nigeria is a great example of that, where you've seen sort of over two million people have left their homes as a result of the Boko Haram insurgency. But then you also meet a lot of Nigerians who, who are trying to travel to Europe with a view to improve the conditions for their families mm. back in the north of Nigeria. So, yes, absolutely. So can you tell a story of, of like an individual migrant um, that might be like illustrative of um, sort of the, 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 this, this, this migration route? Absolutely. So uh, from, from heading over there um, really recently, um, I, I spent two days with two, two young male migrants from uh, Sierra Leone. Um, now, they traveled from Sierra Leone through, through West Africa, uh, through uh, Niger, through Algeria and on to Morocco. Um, now, their motivation for, for traveling was, again, on the back of fallout from the Sierra Leonean civil war. Um, both of their parents had been heavily involved and had backed certain factions within this within this war um, and feared for their lives. They had family members killed since in sort of retributional killings um, and both felt that this having this threat hanging over their heads meant that they could no longer stay in Sierra Leone. And, and the kind of another factor then pushing them to leave was the fact that neither of them could find jobs through their through their family associations. Um, and looking around the market, felt that the only the only way they could go and support brothers, sisters, children, uh, other elderly relative, other elderly relatives, sorry, uh, was to risk it all in this this journey to travel from from Morocco to Spain. But there is such a, a mixture of of people within Tangier, for example. You only have to walk around the Casbah and see groups of, of female Syrian refugees. Sat, sat around with their passports, you know, begging and pleading for money to cr to cross over to to Spain, um, and, and typically the Syrian migrants ha had left. Also, a lot of them were from more middle class backgrounds in cities like Damascus uh, and Homs. Have been able to pay sort of smugglers for safe passage across to Morocco. Well, what, um, does, what, what does um, what does like a successful journey from Morocco to Spain? look like what does it entail sure so for, for a successful journey for i, I mean when you when you're in tangier and you're, you're speaking speaking with these migrants there is this there is this sort of like uh, there is the what the one results that that success is purely to to get yourself into spain um and then apply through the asylum process and get permanent residency in europe uh, that's you know that's very much the, the be all and end all um it, it's it's very upsetting to see and, dis and, and difficult to to see as a journalist speaking to uh some of these individuals coming from war-torn parts of west africa who've already been through enormous atrocities saying that, that they simply don't care if, if they die at die at sea or if they're caught by the police and deported they just want to risk it all and give everything um really i guess kind of around the point home for me was that within tangier itself a lot of the, the sub-saharan migrants live within the sort of casbar old time part of the city um, and they use restaurants um, and internet cafes as kind of community focal points. 
Now, one of these restaurants is uh, called Amy's Cafe, which is run by, or was actually set up by a couple of Senegalese women in 2006, who actually ended up using the proceeds from the cafe to pay for a successful trip over to Spain. They then passed the cafe on to who they described as some sisters, so some other Senegalese women from a similar part of the country, who then in turn passed it on to someone else when they'd saved up the money and crossed. Mm-hmm. And in the cafe, they have this this wall of fame, which kind of is like, I don't know how we'd, how we come to, I guess, have a comparison in in, in the States or in Europe, almost like a, a sort of Hollywood Walk of Fame where every individual that, that makes it successfully from Tangier to Spain, so the first thing they do when they get there is send a selfie of themselves um, either on the sort of the NGO boat or, or when they're taken ashore. This is sent back to the owners of, of Amy's Cafe, who then print it out and stick it on the wall with the uh-huh. individual's name uh-huh. and age. Um, and it's, and it's, it kind of acts as, 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 a, as hope for, for many of the migrants in Morocco who, who may be being detained by the Moroccan police several times or maybe made several unsuccessful crossings, mm-hmm. that people do make it. So for, for, for these individuals, there's no going home. Um, in, a lot of, in a lot of cases, for example, I remember speaking with a young, a young Senegalese man from Dakar whose uh, family, this is extended family, so cousins, aunties, uncles, grandparents, had all pulled up money together to send him as the one, I guess, hope for the family to Morocco with a view then to getting to Europe. And he said there was absolutely no way he could go home empty handed. So, yes, absolutely. For, for migrants sort of across the, the spectrum, it's uh, target Spain, really. Or so, Yeah, that's. Well, so, so I'm wondering what the response has been from Europe and uh, the Moroccan authorities. I mean, you mentioned earlier that when um, the numbers increased from Turkey, Europe and Turkey made this this sort of deal when the numbers increased from Libya. Italy and Libya made made this deal that clamped down on on the number of migrants. So what's happening now? I mean, is is Europe or is it like the government of Spain um, trying to enter into deals with Morocco in order to get Morocco to crack down on um, these uh, migrants and and try to prevent them from leaving Morocco in the first place? Absolutely. So this is a lot of the work that I've been doing this year has been focused around uh, this factor where Morocco is like Turkey was and like Li- Libya has been um, promoted and, and, and touted as almost Europe's policeman in North Africa. Now, this isn't just a, a personal view. This is something that's been expressed by you know Amnesty International this year, a lot of local Moroccan human rights groups. Um, by by the British government, when I've spoken to them, by the European, by even by the European Union. So so the EU um, has has given Morocco 107 million euros to date uh, to work together on on migration, and then a further 807 million euros in bilateral assistance since 2014. Um, I mean, as, as as recently as September of this year, the government of Morocco has granted a further 275 million dollars. Uh, that was uh, to shore up its border. Um, now, I mean, I've, I've heard many stories from uh, detained and, and deported migrants that, that when they when they asked the authorities in Morocco why this was going on, the authorities told them that they were they were being paid and were under instruction from the EU via their own government to keep migrants away from cities like Tangier, Oujda and Nador, where they're able to cross into Europe. So very much we, we are seeing this factor where the European Union is is financing and funding the Moroccan government. Uh, this has been heavily enforced by you know the, the recent Spanish Prime Minister Pedro Sanchez, who's recently visited Morocco and called for even more funding hmm. uh, to to limit irregular migration. Um, now, the, the, the real problem here is 
is that the Moroccan government, um, despite its denials, is, I mean, this is this is a, a fact that's being reported on by a whole variety of NGOs, journalists visiting the country, and again, being told to myself from several European governments, they are aware this is going on. The Moroccan government is taking this sort of role as, as policemen, as it were, into its own hands and carrying out the most atrocious uh, range of a myriad of human rights abuses um, that, that has been traditionally more associated with the Libya to Italy route. So, so what? Uh, I, I, I know you've done a lot of reporting on on sort of some of these human rights abuses. Like, what's happening? Like, what have you reported on? Um, what can you share uh, from your reporting about the kinds of human rights rights abuses or specific incident incidents of of human rights abuse? Sure. So we, we can sort of loosely break these down into, into two, I guess, uh, types or, or, or two varieties. Now, the, the first one and the most the most shocking one to me is the the sexual abuse of, of female migrants, um, both at the Moroccan border and within Morocco itself and on the beaches of, of, of the north of the country as, as these individuals are crossing to Spain. Um, now, my most recent reporting uh, with The Telegraph focused on this angle. I, I travelled over to Morocco, this was last month, uh, in November, um, and spent some time in across Morocco, really, in Tangier, in Rabat, in Marrakesh, in Ujda, in Nador, and spoke with, we're talking 40, 50 women in, in the time that I was there, and every single one of them had a story about the Moroccan police in, in one way or another, or the Moroccan military in one way or another. Um, and I, mean, I was shocked and horrified hearing these tales. I mean, there's, for example, a young Nigerian woman who was 19 crossed over the border from Algeria, this is in Ujda, uh, with six other young women. They were detained at the at the, the border with Algeria, but by the Moroccan police, held within a police facility in Ujda. Um, and the women claimed they were they were raped and held there for for up to a week before being deported to the south of Morocco. Now this certainly isn't uh, isn't an isolated incident by any means. Um, I, you know, I spoke with a, a Guinean woman and a Senegalese woman uh, who'd reached the reached the town of Nador and had been uh, had paid a, a people smuggler to to take them across to Europe. They've been taken to the woods, which is where they're expected to wait for the boats to, to pick them up. And in the middle of the night, the, the police turned up and took women. This is the Moroccan police working in accordance which, with the people smugglers, which is something, again, that I've witnessed and reported on before. Uh, taking women one by one um, at gunpoint, a knife point, raping these women and then returning them to, to this holding point before they then boarded the boats for Europe. Um, these women claim 60 percent of the women on this individual boat were raped. Um, I, you know, I've, I've spoken to two of the women on this boat who became, who fell pregnant as a result of the assaults. Um, I've seen hospital reports backing this up. Um, it's just it's, it's horrific. I, I mean, and ostensibly, know, Mali, well, well, was, I mean, ostensibly, you know, these um, yeah. you know, the, this, these security measures are being funded at least in part by the European Union. So you, it seems you have the situation where the European Union, uh, much like in Libya, is backing forces that are committing human rights abuses against you know would-be migrants absolutely i think the phrase that i would use would be to say that they're they're turning they're very much turning a blind eye to what is going on in morocco as long as the moroccan government continues or increases its success with which it's it's stopping migrants from from reaching europe um now the the, the real problem that we're seeing with 
with the treatment or the, the abuse of these women in Morocco is that there's very there's the Moroccan police and military are able to act with relative impunity here because a lot of the abuses are being carried out in near towns like um, Birlelu, Tiferiti on the border between Western Sahara and Mauritania, uh, Guaganot on the on the border again between Western Sahara and Mauritania, or Ujda on the border with Algeria, which are very remote. So these these women who've who've often travelled already across who've already across travelled across the Sahara feel that they have nowhere to go or, or no one to report the the crimes to. Um, a, a lot of hospitals, the women report that they refuse to be treated. Um, speaking, it, it's, I, I can almost put, not put into words the, the trauma that these women have been through. A lot of them are suffering from serious physical problems as a result of the attacks mm. and also from from psychological and, and mental conditions. And, and there's nowhere for them to turn for, for assistance. Like a, a few charities like Caritas, uh, the Spanish Red Cross, like the Cruz Rojo, who are in Morocco, are trying to do their best to provide psychological support and, and physical, mental, I guess, like uh, sort of physical care for, for these women to hospitals. But it's, it's simply not enough at the moment. Um, yeah, there's a recent study by the Moroccan Association uh, for Studies and Research on Migration, which found that one third of female migrants in Morocco claim that they've been sexually abused, which is a, it's just a, a shocking figure. Um, and that figure is likely to be far less than what the actual figure would be, because these women are, t- are terrified of going public, about getting in trouble with the police, mm-hmm. about families back at home, uh, again, who've put everything and all their money into them from finding out that their their daughter or their wife has been assaulted in this way. Um, so so it is it is a real problem. Um, and it's something that that, in my mind, the European Union needs to wake up to uh, and needs to put pressure on the Moroccan government to to stop these kind of these atrocities happening. I mean, speaking to the EU myself, the, they confirmed that their money was going towards like, training Moroccan police and Moroccan military who are working on these borders. So it, it truly is atrocious. And it, there are these human rights tragedies going on that just aren't really being reported on. They're being brushed under the carpet with the wider aim of, of restricting migration to well, Europe. Sorry, I, I wanted to quickly say there was a, a big second point about the detainments and deportations where a lot of the um, a lot of the migrants, uh, that's the sort of second half of the human rights thing. So the Moroccan government is currently, and there were 7,700 detainments and deportations in July and August this summer alone, which is the other big one. So what the government are doing is that they're rounding up migrants, which is happening with increasing uh, occurrence since the summer in the northern cities and then driving them into the desert and in some instances driving them across borders with the complicity of the Algerian and Mauritanian governments so that these these 300 migrants who are going to board the boat to come across to Spain are now in the south of the country and have to make their way back up to the north. So that's the other the other big one and they're carrying up forced deportations of migrants back to their home countries as well. So that was that was the only thing that quite wanted to get in there. That was the sort of big other thing along with the sexual abuse, I guess. I I certainly appreciate you shining a spotlight on uh, this story. Uh, So thank you. Thank you so much for for your work and and for your time and for speaking with me today, Joe. Sure. Thank you, Mark. Thank you so much for uh, for having me on to to chat with issues. All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Joe. That was helpful. And uh, as always, big thank you to the Global development institute at the university of manchester for being an ongoing content partner with the show and we'll see you next time we've some great new episodes lined up for this new year 
And uh, so let's ring it in well. All right, see you later. Bye.